Good morning. Uh, my name's Paul Walton, if I haven't met you. I'm a home group leader here. And uh, Nick, uh, you know, he's going away on vacation. He has like what he calls his preaching battalion. And uh, this date opened up and said, whoever wants to come forward and step up, you know, uh, I appreciate your help. And so a couple of days went by and I noticed nobody else was responding to Nick's call for help. So I just sent him a note. I said, Nick, whatever you need, you know, I'll be there for you. Um, and so he kind of jumped on that. <laughs> he said, okay, brother, you're up. So uh, um, I realized um, the irony that this morning that I'm going to be preaching about uh, killing sin in our lives. And I realized that I'm a sinful man. And, uh, you know, as, as Danielle was saying, it's like, God can use anyone to speak. So let's not so much focus on the messenger, because I am a fallen man. I do sin. Um, in fact, this past week, I'll just be transparent. Um, I've been a job because I'm trying to keep my guys. I'm self-employed, and I have several guys that work for me. So um, I didn't have a lot of jobs booked up. So uh, this one came up, and the, I was discussing with the owner, and he says, well, if you can meet my budget... Um, I'll give you the job, and he gave me his budget, and I was like, wow, that's that's really low. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, well, i got to keep my guys working. So um, I took the job, signed the contract, and as usual, you know, things start going wrong, and things are taking longer. And uh, so I, another job came in in the meantime, and I scheduled that, and I sent my guys over there, and I went over with them. And we were setting up, and they were getting out of the truck, and they had their hands in their pockets, and one guy had his arms folded. And I'm back in my mind thinking, I've got to be on this other job. I'm already losing money on this other job. I've got to get back over here. And now these guys are just kind of like lollygagging around. So I uh, kind of lost my patience with them and uh, grabbed the ladder and threw it against the house. And I said, if I have to babysit you guys, I wouldn't even have scheduled this job. And uh, I used a choice word before I said that. <laughs> One I haven't uttered in a long time, I'll be honest, because at home group, I was sharing it, and I said, if I knew I had to friggin' babysit you guys, I wouldn't have scheduled this. And Chris Hoyt's our home group, he knows me pretty well. He says, did you use the word friggin'? I said, no, I didn't, Chris. <laughs> so I apologized uh, to my home group that night. And at the end of the day, I apologized to my guys uh, for the word I used for my behavior that day. And uh, I was just uh, contemplating at the end of the day. I was thinking, wow, I, was like, I started my day in prayer. I was reading God's word. I was all, you know, fueled up, I thought, in the spirit to, to take on the day. And I just realized how quickly I can just fall right back into my old fleshly manner, be the old man that's trying to live according to the flesh. Like, I've got this in control. I can do this. And uh, so, again, I, I see the irony of a man that's sinful, fallen, being up here this morning to preach to you about killing sin. In fact, uh, I was trying to come up with a title for this message and... I had several. Um, I was thinking about going the 007, License to Kill. It's like, nah, that's nothing going to work. Um, but what I finally came up with is the best way to live is to always be ready to die. I thought that was fitting. 
And so our text this morning, I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to pray afterwards, but um, we'll have the ushers come forward. If you need a Bible, we'll pass out Bibles, um, and we'll go to Romans 8. We're going to read 10 through 17. I should have written the page number down. I didn't write that down. So hopefully you guys can find it. Nine forty-four. Okay, so everyone there. Okay, well, let's read Romans eight ten through seventeen. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit, who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffered with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Lord, I uh, come to you this morning, Lord, and just ask you to uh, use this vessel, Lord, to speak your word to your people. Lord, I know how Isaiah said, Woe to me, for I'm a man with sinful lips, Lord. I completely relate to Isaiah that I am fallen in my nature, Lord, but I have received a new nature in you. But I'm still battling my flesh, Lord, each and every day. And my hope, Lord, is that your people will be encouraged by the end of this message, Lord, that your spirit will speak to people's hearts, Lord, that they will see that that trusting in you by faith alone is a weapon that we use to defeat our sin. I'm thankful, Lord, for this body, Lord. Be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Get a quick drink here. Okay, here we go. Christians need to learn how to kill sin. So what is the secret to learning how to fight against our sinful nature? Paul tells us that we need to stop paying what our flesh demands. The word flesh is a biblical word for our old rebellious, insubordinate, self-sufficient, self-exalting nature we are all born with. Let's look back now at Romans 8, but we're going to go back a few verses to 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is telling us, don't be paying for your own destruction. Get out of debt to our old nature. 
We must be skilled at killing our own sin. Be careful not to think about other people's sins here, those who have sinned against you, but rather our own sins. Let's look at the last part of Romans 8, verse 13b. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your body, you will live. John Owens, a 17th century theologian, wrote a book titled The Mortification of Sin. And back in the 17th century English, mortify means to kill. Today it means you're embarrassed or shame. But Owens was referring to these passages in Romans. In fact, his whole book is an exposition on Romans 8.13. And he kind of summed up his book this way. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And Charles Spurgeon is famous for his quote concerning the Bible. And he held up his, the Bible one day and he said, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. We can see that these two mottos are closely connected. Verse 13 says we are putting to death sin by the Spirit. And so what is the instrument of death wielded by the Spirit to kill sin? The answer is in Ephesians 6, 6, 17, the last part of the verse. And we'll get back to this. But here it is. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's a hint right there. So the question to me, the number one question to me is, so, so why is it so pivotal for the Christian to be killing sin? Well, the answer lies in the first part of verse 13a. Let's look at it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I think we can all agree that this is a pivotal point when we want to get right. And the answer to this question is because... Killing sin is the result and the evidence of our justification by faith. Let me read that one more time. Killing sin is the result and the evidence of our justification by faith. So let's look at verse 13 one more time. For if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Die. But... If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will what? Okay, so we want to get this right. (laughs) Death and life, all right, are the matters of a hand right here. So just so you know where I stand on justification, or in other words, one salvation, it's not based on the works of the law, but solely by faith in Christ's finished work in his death and resurrection. Christ uttered, it is finished, it is finished. Putting to death the deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit, the daily practice of killing sin in your life, is the result of being justified and uh, by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. And if we are making war against our sin and walking by the Spirit, then we know that we have been united with Christ. Then it is His blood and righteousness that provides the unshakable ground for our justification. Um, One way to look at it is putting sin to death or fighting against sin doesn't make one a Christian. There's a lot of moral people in the world that 
don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. Um, but they're not doing that because they, they, they're trusting in Christ. They're doing it because they're trying to be good moral people. The principle still works. But fighting sin doesn't necessarily put you in the house with Christ. But on the other hand, if we are in the house with Christ, we're fighting sin. So both are true. We're fighting sin because we're in Christ, but fighting sin doesn't make you a Christian. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Just want to make that clear. Okay? So on the other hand, if we are living according to flesh, if we are not making war on our flesh and not making a practice of killing it in our life, there's no compelling reason to think that we are united to Christ by faith or that we are truly justified. In other words, putting to death the deeds of the body is not the way that we are justified, but it is one of the ways that God reveals to us that we are indeed justified. Paul's warning here in verse 13 is a real warning. Make no mistake, if we are not growing in grace and striving for holiness and making war against our old nature, we have no evidence that our profession of faith has a firm foundation, but it's merely an empty confession with no evidence to confirm that what we confess with our mouth, but aren't really trusting with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Uh, I'll just be a little transparent here that when I first came to Christ, my theology was very shallow. Um, I walked forward at a meeting, and I thought, okay, I'm trusting Christ, so my behavior doesn't really matter all that much as long as I'm not intentionally hurting other people. I mean, if I still please my flesh and just keep doing the things I like to do, I'm in. I mean, I, I walk forward. I mean, I'm saved, right? And uh, this is where it gets kind of shaky because we are justified by faith alone. But if we just continue in our old way of life, uh, pleasing our flesh, then we have no evidence that we are actually indeed saved. The evidence is, is that we are fighting sin. I mean, after all, that's what Jesus Christ came to defeat, is the power of sin. That's why he died on the cross, for my sins. So Paul's warning here is, is real, okay? So killing sin is the effect and not the cause of our justification. Now let's look back just a few verses, or a few chapters back to uh, Romans 6, the second half. Of Romans 6, 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Right? If we're dead to it, how can we continue in it? The answer is obvious. I believe we can't. In fact, if we have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, we can no longer be married to sin. The faith that unites us with Christ divorces us from all his comp- for, from all the co- competitors for our heart. The faith that makes peace with God declares war on our sin. If we are not at odds with sins with sin, then we are not at home with Christ, not because of being at odds with sin makes us at home with Christ, but because being at home with Christ makes us at odds at sin. Let me say that one more time. 
If we are not at odds with sin, we are not at home with Christ. Not because being at odds with sin makes us at home with Christ, but because being at home with Christ makes us at odds with sin. Until we firmly believe that putting to death the sinful deeds of the body by the power of the Spirit is an actual war, we will most likely just be playing at Christianity, like I was for so many years. I wasn't really fighting sin. I was deceiving myself, I would say. And most likely we would just be playing with no vigilance or passion. The enemy will lull us into sleep, into a peacetime mentality, as if nothing truly serious is at stake. Now, um, let's turn to Matthew eleven twelve. I just want to show you what Jesus had to say on this subject. I don't have the page number for you, sorry, but I'm just going to read it. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I always kind of wondered, what exactly does that mean? Until... Now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, but the violent take the kingdom by force. Do you want to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Then we must be awake from our slumber and be violent against what? I think it's against our own sinful flesh. Did you know that Jesus endorsed violence? Yeah, he did. That... uh, it's not, it's not um, against violence against others, but it's against our own sin. Listen to what Jesus had to say about fighting temptation. This is Matthew 18, 7 through 9. Woe to the world for the temptations to sin. I mean, whenever Jesus says woe, I think that should catch our attention. For it is necessary that temptations come. But here it is again. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, Tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell's fire. Two times he says to enter life, we have to do something. We have to fight. And it's so passionate, this fight against sin. He's saying, well, cut off your hand. Cut off your your feet. I mean, tear your own eye out. Now we know that This is a metaphor. I don't want anybody to go home and start plucking their eyes out or cutting their hands off. Because what we know is that the eye and the hand are all connected to what? A sinful heart. The problem is the heart. Now, if we were to place Romans 18, I mean Romans 8, 13, on top of what Jesus just said, and he looked at it, He'd say, you know, how do we do this? 
Paul tells us it's by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. Or as Christ tells us, cast off sinful deeds and you will enter life. As he says in verse 8 and 9 of Matthew 18. This war we are called to engage in is against our own sin and not the sin of others. We are to be violent in our attack towards our own sin and not the sins of others. Here's a quote from Ed Welch from his book, I love the title, A Banquet in the Grave. There's a mean streak to self-control, to authentic self-control. Self-control is not for the timid. When we want to grow in it, not only do we nurture an exuberance for Jesus Christ, we demand of ourselves a hatred for our own sin. The only possible attitude towards an all towards an out-of-control desire is a declaration of all-out war. There is something to be said about wartime that sharpens our senses. You hear a twig snap or a rustling of the leaves, and you are in attack mode. Someone coughs, and you're ready to pull the trigger. Even after days of little or no sleep, war keeps us vigilant. That's what Ed is referring to, is like, to have this mentality of, of being at war with sin is like we've got to be aware. It's like the enemy is constantly trying to throw these temptations, these traps that we'll fall for, right? Now, I don't know what you guys are struggling with against this morning. It could be the love of money. could be legal or illegal drugs, the abuse of alcohol. Some of us desire the praise of other people the approval, uh, some it's addiction to, to porn. It could be an overwhelming desire for food or something else. For me, it was, this week it was anger. I gave in to this anger that uh, I just submitted to it. I wanted, I wanted to lash out. But both Christ and Paul are telling us that making war against your sin, is we need to wake up. Can't be sleepy. This is war. We must be violent towards our sin if we want to live. So the first point I was thinking, so what is putting to death? Well, I think in the analogy of a tree, to kill bad fruit, the deeds of the body, would be by severing the bad root. Kill the fruit, sever the root. Let's look at Romans 8 again. Hopefully you're still there. Just go back to Romans seven, or Romans 8, back to the verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The root of the deeds of the body that have to be killed is the flesh that is hostile towards God and is unable and unwilling to submit to him. Looking back at the first part of verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Our natural flesh is hostile towards God. It rejects God's commands because it doesn't want to be told by him what to do. Sinful deeds have a lifeline that must be cut off, and it's our flesh, it's our heart. Matthew fifteen, eighteen through 20. But what comes out of the mouth 
proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The root of our evil deeds is an unregenerated heart. We need to cut off the blood flow of our hostile flesh by trusting in Christ and live by faith, being led by the Spirit. So, point two, how do you do this? How do you be, how are you led by the Spirit? We set our minds on the things of the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This is where discipline comes in. We need to actively pursue the leading of the Spirit by directing our hearts and our minds and our soul towards the things of God, His grace, His mercy, His loving kindness, all the attributes of God that are spiritually discerned. Set our minds on the words of God and the realities they stand for, the things of the Spirit. Paul uses the actual fit phrase, things of the Spirit, in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, second chapter, 13 and 14. He uses it in verse 14, but I just want to get the context. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. For the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So here we see the things of the Spirit are the very inspired words of Scripture given by the apostles themselves. When Romans 8.5 says that those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, he means that they are set their minds on the words of God and the realities they stand for given by supernatural revelation. These are the things of the Spirit that the natural person rejects and the spiritual person embraces. So to put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit is to set your mind on the things of the Spirit, which we can now see means embracing the words of God and their reality spoken by inspired supernatural spokesmen. There are this is significant because the word, of, the word of God is called what? The sword of the Spirit. And it's in, in Ephesians six seventeen, Paul uses that phrase. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we know that swords are used for killing. And that is exactly what we are supposed to do by the Spirit. And again... What does Romans 8.13b tell us? But if by the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And my final point is, we do this sin killing by faith and not by works of the law. So in a practical sense, what we do to bring about this power of the Spirit is using the Word of God into actually killing sin. So let's look... At page 973, we're going to look at Galatians 3.5.
Did I lose myself here? Knock that off, I think. There we go. Does he, God, who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is clear to you, I hope. God supplies the power for miracles by the hearing with faith and not by the works of the law. Why does Paul say by hearing with faith instead of simply saying by faith? I believe to emphasize that what faith hears and receives and embraces is something that's heard, namely the Word of God, which we know is called the sword of the Spirit by which we kill sin. Now Nick has been preaching from Luke 4, concerning the temptation of Christ by Satan in the wilderness. And we have seen how Jesus uses the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to say no. But not only that, he's being led by the Spirit of God. We look to the Word of God, especially a word that promises that God will be more for us and do more for us than whatever sin falsely promises. And trusting in God and His Word is the key to killing sin. And that's how we sever the root of sin. We destroy it by the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So I'm just imploring you to immerse your mind and your heart in the ever-flowing fountain of truth, life, and power in the promises of God that are ours as the children of God. I would just ask you guys to examine your hearts um, because it's an opportunity to be transparent before each other and before God. And if you're dealing with some sin in your heart and in your life, um, we're going to have home groups available over on the side here for prayer. Um, Or if you just want to uh, talk to me afterwards, if you're battling with something. Um, Just read from 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In James 5.16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. Um, it was difficult preparing this message. Um, because it was all about killing sin and dealing with our flesh that's hostile to God. And I knew that it might come across as very kind of legalistic, but I know the Lord wanted me to preach this sermon because I didn't want people to make the same mistake I made when I first started trusting Christ. Um, I think we can really get off on the wrong foot and it can cause a lot of problems in our life and uh, we can hurt a lot of other people because we have a wrong understanding. And uh, so I just wanted to share something from Lamentations just so you uh, be left with something that would encourage you also this morning. It's Lamentations 3. I'm going to start at verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He is faithful to us. He does pour out fresh grace every night, and he drowns us with fresh mercies every morning. And as, as I testified this morning, it's like, you know, I, I feel bad this week. I mean, my, I haven't uttered that word out loud with other people around for years. And it's just like, it just showed me that uh, uh, my flesh, though it's been mortally wounded, it's, it's not dead yet. I'm still fighting sin each and every day. And uh, we're called to be at war with our flesh. But it's by trusting in Christ. And it's by the power of the Spirit. And I know that it, it takes a lot of guts to stand up and go over and get prayer for sin. If, if everyone in here is telling me that you don't have any sin in your life, well, the Word of God says that that we're liars if we say we don't have sin, right? We're all sinners. <laughs> let's let's be real here. We're all fighting sin. When no one's reached the plateau of glorified yet, we're getting to glorified, but we're not there. And uh, during this last song, be real. There's something you need to confess to God. You know, as Peter, I mean, as James was saying, confess to one another your sins, that you may be healed. There's probably people sick because they're hiding stuff in their life and they're not confessing it. And you can come here and put on your church face and pretend like, yeah, everything's good. I, you know, I'm fine. I, I never sin. Oh, I might tell a little white lie or something, but. No, me and God, we're good. I'm walking with Jesus. I mean, even Nick at the prayer meeting has confessed that he's sinful. <laughs> I mean, he's our leader. I know Nick. He's a great guy, but, you know, he does things that, uh, that fall short of the glory of God. I mean, everyone in here falls short of the glory of God. So, uh, I just want you to be real with each other and be real with God. And during this last song, if you have something to com- confess, you may not have to confess it to anyone else. I mean, that's it's between you and God. But uh, I know that when I've confessed my sin to, to brothers and sisters in the Lord, um, it freed me from from pride of, saying, hey, you know, it's like, I don't have it all together, guys. I mean, I, I never would have came up here and preached this and been transparent if I didn't want you guys to grow in the Lord. That's my desire, is that you would grow in trusting each other and trusting the Lord, and and that's what a family does. Family gets real. I don't know if you've been to any family reunions lately, but usually things come to the surface after a while, Right? It's like, okay, and then, okay, you've been honest, now I'm going to be honest. And But at the end, if we're loving and we're supportive and we're caring for each other, 
We're going to build each other up and encourage each other. We're going to tell each other, you know, it's like trust in the Lord. He is worth it. He's worth it all. He's worth looking foolish, admitting you fall short. Give Him the glory this morning, I would pray. So during this last song, I hope we just get real with with each other and with the Lord and just say, you know, Lord, we want to be holy. We want to be good. We want to be pleasing in your sight, Lord. But we're frail. We're fallen. We need you. We need your spirit. I mean... I don't want I don't want this next week to be like last week where I was walking in the flesh preparing a sermon and then doing the exact opposite during the day. <laughs> That's not the way to live the victorious Christian life. And it felt good at the end of the day to tell those guys that man I blew it you guys. I'm sorry. I said that. I'm sorry the way I acted. Please forgive me. And they did. They forgave, they forgave me. One of them was my own son. And, uh, I think that meant a lot to him to see his dad ask for forgiveness and see that his dad is human. We're all human in here. We're all gonna fall short. But Christ loves us. His, his mercies are fresh every morning and his grace is ready to be poured out each and every day. I'm just going to close with prayer. Um, and then I have a few announcements to make, but uh, let's just close it in prayer right now. Lord, um, thankful, Lord, that you are faithful. Even when we fall short, Lord, and we totally miss the mark, Lord, No matter how far, Lord, we've wandered from you, gotten off the path, Lord, it's always just one step back to you, Lord. And when we take that one step, Lord, like the father, the prodigal son, Lord, you come running towards us. You are faithful to forgive us when we confess our sin. Thank you, Lord, for paying the price for my sin, for my brother's and sister's sin. Thankful, Lord, that you were obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, it's it's the goodness of the cross that draws men to repentance. When we see what you did for us on that cross, Lord, it, it, it just kills our flesh, Lord, when we trust you by faith, Lord. Lord, just be with each and every person here this week, Lord. I pray that you would strengthen them in their walk, that they would be trusting you. Uh, Just pour out fresh grace each night and drown them in mercies each morning, Lord, as they awaken to start their day. Give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.